Hey friends, on today's episode, I have a really unique guest for you. Now, if you've been around and listening for a while, you know that I am passionate about leadership. Well, I have a leader's leader coming on the show. We're talking about high-level leadership, moral courage, accountability, diversity, bridging the gap. You guys are going to love this. If you want to know how to really connect with people and make changes in your community, you're going to want to take a few notes. So hey, let's dive into this. Hey there, you're listening to the Living a Limitless Life podcast. I'm Sharon Hughes, and on this show, we talk about mastering your mindset, growing your faith, and becoming the leader you want to be with tips, strategies, and interviews to help you create a life you love. I'm really glad you're here. So come on, let's go. Joining me on the show today is somebody that I consider an online mentor. He's a leader's leader. It's Dr. Marcus Goody Goodlow. He's an author, speaker, adjunct professor at Dallas Baptist University, and a teaching pastor at Parkcrest Church. He's also the president of Dream Life Loud. I couldn't be more honored to have him on the show. Welcome, Goody. Well, hello there, Sharon, and all of your listeners. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm really excited to be with you. Oh, I'm so thrilled. As I always do with people that I invite on the show, I stalk them. But when I started stalking you, I was in absolute awe of what you've done with your life and the leadership role that you encompass. And I have to preface it by telling our listeners, Goody is from Compton. So straight out of Compton, (laughs) that's his hood. So people that say, hey, I come from the hood, so I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that. He's here to set the record straight. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, proud of my roots. Uh, the three two three, the three one zero, the five six two. We have a number of <laughs> area codes there. Uh, yeah, so you know, um, I was born and raised in South Central LA, a place called Compton, California. I'm very proud of my roots. Compton is known as a place in the last uh, 30, 40 years to be a place of of, of, of brutal. Uh, challenge and oftentimes heartache and pain, uh, but there's also some beauty from that brokenness. Um, and, you know, what I tell people is Compton has an interesting history. You know, 100 years ago, Compton was an agricultural society. It was um, predominantly white. Uh, in fact, the late President George Herbert Walker Bush once lived in Compton. Uh, <laughs> Bobby Bedford, who is uh, a well-known horse, horse trainer, uh, uh, he, uh, he and I were talking a couple of years ago, uh, by distant relation, we have a connection. Uh, his nephew is married to my wife's half sister, but we were talking about the history of Compton and how he, even as a horse trainer, would spend time in Compton, uh, training horses. Fast forward though to when my time of growing up there, a lot of challenge, yep, heartache and, and hardship, uh, growing up single parent family. My mom raised us, my two sisters and I, and, um, or, and me. Uh, and so it was difficult. But what I, don't, what I tell people, Sharon, is what you don't know is if you take a map mm-hmm. and you get L.A., all of Los Angeles County, all of the cities, and if you were to take a map, Compton is literally located in the center of Los Angeles. 
Oh, I didn't realize that. And I'm and I live right next door to Compton. Yeah. And so Compton's nickname is called the Hub City. H U B. The Hub oh. City. So if you take a wheel, mm-hmm. and in the middle of the wheel, it's called the Hub. Compton, despite its brokenness, despite its uh, negative uh, sort of connotation that often exists with it. It's ironic that that place uh, that is often marred in controversy and challenge is also the center of Los Angeles. And so beauty comes from that brokenness, something of great value, people of great value comes from a place that's often filled with volatility. And so I'm proud of my roots. Uh, My mom still lives there and uh, as well as other members of my family. And so, yes. Uh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yes. Can anything good come out of Compton? Yes. I love it. I love it. So I have to ask the question of what spurred you into the leadership arena? Yeah. So, you know, I, it's funny. I was just talking to a group of people yesterday about this uh, in our faith community that I'm a part of. I'm part of a couple of one is Park Christ Church, as you uh, mentioned. Also, another was called Wave Church. But one of the hats I wear is as a spiritual leader, a faith leader. I was talking to a group of people about their gifts, their talents and their gifts. And I know you're a person of faith and many listeners as well. But for those of us who are even not, those who are not, what we do believe is, is, is that we're, we're uniquely gifted. No two people are alike. And part of those gifts, uh, we believe, are for the betterment, not just of ourselves, but for the betterment of others. I learned very on that one of the gifts I had uh, was the gift of leadership. Mm-hmm. In quick ways, you know the gifts you have, I believe. One, affirmation from others. Mm-hmm. The opportunities consistent with those gifts. The outcomes when you're utilizing those gifts. Mm. So often I would have people affirm that gift, confirm that gift, people of wisdom who would speak into my life. And then it was amazing the opportunities that would come from athletics and being a team captain or leader or in speech or in debate and student government, uh, community activists, opportunities that would come. And then the outcomes, I believe uh, your leadership should bear fruit. Mm-hmm. And so early on, I discovered. Uh, and I define leadership simply as the ability to move people from here to there. Uh, it's the ability to take people beyond their imagination, beyond their resources, their capacity, their known capacity, and to join them in creating something beautiful. And so even as a young kid growing up in South Central LA, I knew that that gift was something that was given to me by our creator. And I wanted to try to uh, use that um, for good, you know, in the words of the Avenger, uh, of Spider-Man, uh, you know, uh, what, what, if I can get it correct with the, uh, Peter Parker's parents told him with, with, uh, with, with such, uh, with such gifts entrusted to you comes great responsibility. Uh, all the Avenger people are going to be like texting you going, he just blew that quote. That's not what it's <laughs> but paraphrasing. That's, that's in essence what, what the parents of Peter Parker tell him, look, with, with your gifts comes great, enormous responsibility. And so I think the gift of leadership is one of the most important ones that we have in society, that we have in all contexts. Um, and I know you're a person of influence as well. And so, yeah, early on, I learned that. And uh, through affirmation of others, opportunities and outcomes, I've just tried to advance humanity forward and utilizing that. Have not always done well, has, have fallen on my face uh, too many times to count. But uh, by, by the grace of our transcendent, who is God, I'm, I'm grateful to be here. 
Well, I'm grateful that you're here and for the work that you're doing. Because we had spoken a couple of weeks ago, and we just seemed to have this conversation that naturally unfolded around you know, diversity and, and embracing differences and bridging the gaps and things like, and I just, I want the audience to know when I said that you're a leader's leader, it's because recently you spoke to the LA County Chief of Police Association, and you also serve on the community engagement board for the Redondo, Pe- Redondo Beach Police Department, which is no small feat. And oh, yes. with your leadership and your compassion for people and your genuine heart to bridge the gaps of, of what we see is going on in our culture, I, who, who better called than somebody that has that heart? That, and especially that comes from Compton and has seen it all. You've seen both sides because not only have you come from a place that has a lot of challenges, but you, know, you went all the way to educate yourself and have a PhD and then to be speaking on really big platforms. So it's just, you know, it's been a, it's been a joy uh, to, to experience that has been very humbling. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just, indeed, I just uh, finished speaking to a group of about 60 chiefs of police. These chiefs are gathered from three different counties across California, LA, Riverside, and uh, San Bernardino counties in conjunction with San Diego County, actually. And I spoke last year, and they invited me back to speak again this year in their annual conference in Palm Springs. And I just completed uh, just three days ago a, a full day training leadership development time with the Hermosa Beach Police Department, their leadership. And coming up, uh, another highlight I have is uh, the Long Beach Police Department and all their wow. com- command staff. So that's not just their sworn officers. That's like uh, everybody from their fire chief to their operations manager. So I'm doing a leadership t- day with them, a time with them. So all that to say, um, a lot of these entities and organizations, uh, particularly with regard to law enforcement, the brown and black communities in recent years, there's been a lot of a lot of tension mm-hmm. uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, issues of uh, you know whether that's uh, high crime excessive use of police force, controversial shootings, uh, unfair uh, rulings with regard to the judicial system. There's been a, just a host of issues. And so my, my goal has been to try to not just bridge the gap, the divide, the great chasm that exists oftentimes between brown and black communities and law enforcement, but really to build relationships and from those relationships build trust. And from that trust, find common ground. Part of my work with the Redondo Beach Community Police Engagement Board uh, is to do just that. You know, I've gotten a chance to sit and be a part of some strategic conversations involving community and law enforcement. I've sat on sergeant's review uh, board uh, for candidates who were interviewing for jobs. I've spoken on issues and policies related to everything from body cams to to stops and how our police officers are conducting such stops. So it's been very rewarding. A shout out to Chief um, Keith Kaufman, a dear friend of mine who actually has become a friend. He's the chief of Redondo, Captain uh, John Naylor and Joe Hoffman. They, they are the two who helped lead as well. These men are not just colleagues I've gotten a chance to work with. I've actually gotten a chance to live life with them and uh, we've gotten a chance to connect outside of the professional um, sort of arena. I mean, John, for example, is a, a member of our faith community here in Hermosa, Redondo area. I actually baptized his daughter 
uh, about three months, four months ago. So it's just been very humbling. All that to say, I think a part of our great divide, Dr. King's Martin Luther King Jr. says, we fear each other because we don't know each other. We don't know each other because we don't spend time with each other. Part Mm -hmm. of working our way through these sort of tensions is living life, hanging out, trying to empathize and come to an understanding of who the other person is who's sitting across from us, uh, away from the badge, away from the uniform, uh, but just as a human being. These are my pains. These are my hurts. These are my fears. These are my dreams. These are my anxieties. These are my failures. These are my shortcomings. All that. This is who I am. uh, And we try to find common ground through relationships. So over a meal, a cup of coffee, Mm-hmm. A, a moment of reflection, a pause, a Selah moment, a lot can be advanced when we do that. Oh, I totally agree with you. I recently left the world of corporate training. Congratulations. And- <laughs> you know, I have to say it was, it was bittersweet. I had the opportunity to train all levels from um, people that were not English speaking in production all the way up to the executive team. And of all the different people that I trained with, all the different departments, my heart was with the guys in the shop. So I was fortunate to have an interpreter and I would you know, come in there and, and speak to them. No one had ever spoken to them about perception and value and communication and things like that. And what's so interesting is when you're talking about how we don't understand each other because, you know, we don't spend that time together. Mm-hmm. These guys, they looked like the kind of guy that a girl like me would not want to run into in an alley <laughs> or, or maybe even, you know, a, a bar or nightclub, something like that. Because right. they all looked really rough and tough. Right. But I worked with them for over a year. And what I found same as you and I. They have families. They're worried about paying their mortgage. They're worried if their kids are doing okay, if they're a good enough father. Um, these guys, they, they had the hearts of teddy bears. Sure, and I sure. learned such a valuable lesson. I don't, we all know this. You can't judge a book by its cover, but we still do. And some of that is because of some of the things that were fed by the media. That's right. Yeah. That's right. No, that's very true. I think you know, part of it is is, you know, working our way through these issues. Now, there are difficult issues. They are very tough. Uh, there, are, there are things, you know, that are happening within law enforcement that as citizens should alarm us. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are things that are happening in law enforcement that should encourage us. Mm-hmm. So our goal should be to try to speak truth to those issues, correct them. You know, I tell law enforcement, I don't, I don't shrink back. You know, uh, uh, we, we, can, we dare not think that law enforcement in any way is is absolved from having people who do bad things from officers at times who go who do step overboard etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. and so we can't accept law enforcement officers blindly uh because they have on a badge or because they're endowed with certain authorities by our state and our government um, yes. but at the same time we can't start you know from a platform or position of being antagonistic towards them either we have to look at who they are, the entities they represent, the various uh, agencies, and judge them by their contributions and by their ethics. And so that's what we've tried to do uh, here in the South Bay. And as I've taken the conversation to various agencies across, uh, you know, the country and even this, obviously the state of California, that's been our goal. And so, uh, you know, advancing the, I, I talk about advancing the needle, moving the needle, just, just, just moving the needle. 
I love that. Okay. Being what you just said, um, I want to bounce something off of you. I just want your opinion on this. This is a note that I wrote to myself just when I was pondering why church leaders and leaders in general get it wrong. Okay. So this is, this was the thought because we have people leading churches or in law enforcement that are just as broken as everyone else. Those that are seeking healing are often hurt even more. Mm, interesting. Oh, yes. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's not much to add to that. I think there's, you know, our police officers, agencies are a microcosm of our community, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, that's the reality. Um, I had a chance to spend some time with a chief of police from Dallas, a former chief from Dallas uh, police, uh, police department a few, a couple, about a year and a half ago, two years ago. Uh, Brown is his last name. He was the chief of police at the time, unfortunately, uh, of the massacre that occurred in Dallas, where I think mm-hmm. six or seven officers were gunned down. By the mm-hmm. way, these officers were shot and killed while guarding and protecting a peaceful demonstration of Black Lives Matter. So mm-hmm. how ironic is that? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, anyway, was talking to him. And one of the things that stood out from his moment of leadership in that crisis was he spoke very honestly about the weight, the expectations that are on law enforcement age officers dealing everything with domestic from domestic violence and being mental health, basically, mm-hmm. agents at times. They encounter a lot of people. We call the police for everything from mm-hmm. get my cat out of the tree to <laughs> I need to find my delinquent kid to, yes. hey, my husband is doing something he shouldn't be doing. And I mm-hmm. feel violated or whatever to, hey, my car got broken into. I mean, you, it just goes on and on. And police mm-hmm. officers are asked to do a great deal. Having said that, um, it's not an excuse for when we have officers, members of the law enforcement uh, departments who uh, go uh, beyond their given authority and do things that um, violate the integrity of their oath of office and the ethics for which the, the community uh, has given and expects of them. And so to protect and serve the community, they exist because of the community, taxpaying uh, citizens who, who for the most part are trying to do right just like they are. So it's a tough job, uh, but you know, the complexities of our world, of our nation as it is. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm believing that the, that we're turning a corner with respect to some issues, 21st century policing in 2014, the initiative that was a blue ribbon committee committee, uh, that was initiated by then President Obama. A number of different agencies have signed off on those community policing initiatives, basically, which is bringing law enforcement and the conversation thereof into the 21st century, everything from community policing to technology mm-hmm. to really putting programs together that are not, it's not just about managing crime, but about building relationships. Mm. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. So needed. So needed. As I look back at history, and um, I'm reading your book, Kingmaker. My heart breaks wide open for what has happened in this country and what continues to happen. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about Sankofa. Oh, sure. I'd like for you to explain to the audience what Sankofa is. Sure. Well, thanks for the, for the plug. I appreciate it again uh, to be a part of your show today, Sharon. It's a great oh, honor. Absolutely. So uh, Dr. Martin King Jr. is someone I've, I've followed practically all of my young teenage years, even up into my adult life. And uh, in studying his life, 
in becoming a King scholar, I discovered several uh, sort of principles or characteristics for which he tried to live his life by. Uh, King was an astute learner of history. He felt that indeed uh, history could be one of the greatest teachers uh, for us as a society. And so he was a very learned man as well, as you know, earned PhD scholar himself. But uh, whenever you, whenever I would listen to some of his speeches, and I listened to quite a few, I discovered that this man had a great depth and knowledge and appreciation for things, events, for people, heroes, and sheroes that had gone before him. And part of that, for me, was a discovery then of uh, sort of this theory, uh, this sort of conversation that exists within. Uh, the African expression or community, and that is this uh, theory known as Sankofa, which simply is the idea of looking back while moving forward. It's depicted with a bird, a picture, an image of a bird whose feet are firmly planted forward, but whose face is looking back. And so sometimes we make the mistake of looking back and holding steady, remaining in our past. That's not the goal of Sankofa. Other times, we look forward having no appreciation for what has ever taken place uh, in times past. Sankofa acknowledges the past, looking back, but whose feet are moving forward or planted forward. And so that's the idea. The idea is, yep, our past can inform our future. Our past can have a great influence in the outlook of our future. Uh, we are left to create that future. Uh, time is neutral and does not change things. Instead, people do. And so unless we think that over a period of time, things get better. It's part of your, dis, uh, your disheartment, it comes from, like me, is the idea that, man, here we are 30, 40, 40 years, 50 years later since Dr. King's left this earth, uh, his, uh, the April, 6, April 4th, 1968, and yet some of the issues that he championed, tried to advance, are still unfortunately with us today. Mm -hmm. Many in our society have thought, but because of over a period of time, things would get better. Uh, that time, in Dr. King's words, says, uh, change does not come on the inevitability of time, on the wheels of time. It comes through sacrifice, hard work, people willing to risk. And so mm -hmm. for me, Sankofa is an appreciation that says, hey, the work continues, that the, the cause, the fight, the advancement for things such as generosity and nobility and honor and integrity and decency and love and respect, those things must still continue. And so we learn from what has happened, but yet we are, we are compelled to advance forward into new paths, into new territories, uh, the things that will move uh, the global community forward. So the mm -hmm. Sankofa is just that, looking back while moving forward. Yep, my past, uh, both good and bad, as a nation, a, week, a nation, this nation is, is, is beautiful, but it has a lot of brokenness. Uh, it has a lot of things that have been marred in its history. I was just looking last night, and we're looking at some things about the controversy still surrounding the flag in Mississippi that mm -hmm. still flies, and, uh, and the controversy that exists around that. And so... Uh, and so we still have a ways to go. And so Sankofa is a noteworthy principle, a noteworthy characteristic that speaks about the work that we have yet to do that still remains, rather. I love it. I want to read a, a paragraph from your book. This sure. is so good. An unfulfilled destiny is not just a casualty of time lost. It is also the loss of promise and potential for our lives 
and for the greater human community to be served. Mm. So to those people who encourage you to have only a short-term memory, I boldly say we can learn more from our errors and successes in the past to help us move wisely in the present. Yeah, that's right. So good. Yeah. That's so good. Man, who wrote that? That's that's pretty (laughs) pretty good. Things that you said. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. No. That's pretty good. Yeah. We could we could end right there. (laughs) Thank you though. I I appreciate that. We yeah, you know, we you know, we often talk about how, you know, uh, I have some friends I play golf with uh pretty regular my college roommate, some others, Carl Winston, some others. I grew up I've known him since I was 16 years old. We were out playing just this past weekend. And uh, the ability to, you know, go from a shot to shot. And we talk about when you're on the course, you hit a bad shot. The great golfers, of which neither of us are, they know what went wrong. They can tell you on what hole my elbow was, uh, you know, chicken, what we call chicken wing. It was out. Uh, My tempo was off. I rotated my wrist too quickly, what have you. The ability to go back and remember allows them to step up to the next shot and not make those errored mistakes, those errors. Uh, and so that's how I look at sometimes the conversation around Sankofa. Yep. Mm-hmm. I remember, I recall, I'm under, I'm on, I'm aware, I'm understanding. I have an appreciation for what got us, uh, what brought us to that place of pain, of suffering, of injustice, or even what got us to that place of wholeness and healing. You know, we call great tragedy, but out of sometimes great tragedies came beauty. 9-11, for example, comes to mind where, you know, everyone talked about how after 9-11, how people just seemed to be kinder, gentler, more respectful. There was this idea of oneness and, uh, you know, us as a nation. We're all Americans uh, made in the Imago Dei. Uh, There was no first, second generation. There was no who had... Uh, green cards of papers. There was no, what was your last name? It was, hey, do you identify with the beliefs and ideals of, of America? And we gotten away from that, obviously. And so Sankofa says, you know what? I acknowledge that. I recognize that. And uh, I am able to correct that or certainly not go down that path uh, that we went before that brought us to, to pain and difficulty. Hey, how about we learn uh, from our past, not and repeat this, and not repeat the mistakes uh, as we move forward in our future. So yeah, I love that, and I love the golf analogy that you just used because what I see in many many leaders that are un- they're unknowingly struggling in their leadership, like they they're not they're missing the mark and they don't realize it. And it's because they don't take time to stand on the course and ask why did I miss that shot. Yep. Yeah, self. Uh, one, one one philosopher said the longest journey we'll ever take is a journey inward, and so oftentimes when we talk about leadership, Sharon, we talk about leadership as if it's something that must happen out there, or to them as I lead. The first the first sort of step of leadership though is self leadership. Mm-hmm. The first advancement and oftentimes the first casualty is leading self. And so part of self-leadership calls for reflection and an internal examination of who I, am, who, who I am and where am I and what's the purpose for my life? What are the gifts that the, my creator has given me, the skills, the talents, uh, you know, the evaluation of, of things, of, of what I have done, what I'm attempting to do. Have I taken weight 
Uh, have I given consideration? Have I paused? Have I been silent? Mm-hmm. Have I given a moment to appreciate this moment as I'm entrusted to lead others? And so we run away from that, from that silence. We run away from that self-examination. And so I tell leaders all the time, if you, if you haven't done a 360 eval or if you haven't allowed for people to speak into your life who, who without retribu- fear of retribution, if you're not constantly doing self-examination, I take, I take leaders through an exercise. I took our law enforcement agents and these ch- chiefs of police through this exercise where I asked a series of about 20 questions, rapid questions, and I said, give me your first response. And these questions range from what did you eat today to when was the last time you said thank you or when was the last time you asked for forgiveness? Mm. If you were a color, in your mood, what color would you be right now? Mm. And you, you should see these officers who many of them are type A personalities, but for them to take a moment with a blank piece of paper and give consideration to say, you know, when was the last time I asked for forgiveness? When was the last time I said, thank you? Hey, you know, wh- what is my mood right now? If I were not here, what would I be doing today? And so, so much of leadership is self-leadership. And so I encourage leaders to take the time to take the time uh, to consider uh, uh, consider what it what is it that you're trying to accomplish, and more importantly, consider who you are and how what role you have to play in this drama called life. Mm, so good, so good, Goody. My goodness, this is truly a has become a masterclass on leadership. <laughs> no, no, you're too kind. You're too kind. I'm, I'm being with you is uh, like. Uh, it's like bringing sand to the beach. <laughs> and so you, you've had a chance to sit down with some pretty cool people yourself. And I'm, I'm so honored to be with you and all your listeners today. And, and, and this has been a really great joy for me as well. I'm really appreciative. Well, I'm excited to, to see what you do next. What do you have coming down the pipe? How can people oh, connect oh, with yes. you? Yeah, so uh, goodygoodlow.com keeps people current on me. Goodygoodlow.com. Goody spelled with an I-E. Goodlow, L-O-E. That kind of lets people know what's coming up next in terms of my schedules and my travels. We are working on a re-release, hardback edition of both Kingmaker uh, and my new book, Habits, that I co-wrote. Uh, we're going to come out with hardback editions. I just signed with a great organization called The Vision Group. Uh, mm-hmm. They are my new representatives, and uh, we're going to be advancing those in hardback copies. We have an anniversary edition of Kingmaker itself coming, where I basically... Uh, there's some some new endorsements. There's a new comment afford, but there's also sort of a journal that exists that is part of Kingmaker, where I take I engage in conversations with the reader based upon places that I've taken the message of Kingmaker, and so consider it like a diary, where I'm in Korea writing in real time as I'm sharing Kingmaker, and then I bring that those insights back into the, the, the new release of my book. And so people can read what I was feeling, what I was experiencing right there in that moment. Uh, when, you know, I spoke about uh, the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to people literally around the world, to high schoolers, to law enforcement people, to business leaders. And so I do that with Kingmaker. And then we're going to re-release that in both a hard copy as well as uh, Habits in hard copy. Habits, of course, is available in audio right now. Uh, and then we're going to release both of those books in hard copy. I'm excited about that. So to look for that in the next, that should happen within the next six months. 
Wow, that's exciting. Yeah. So in addition to reading Kingmaker, I am also reading Habits. And for the audience, um, the subtitle is Six Steps to the Art of Influence. So if you want to learn how to influence people, you need to grab this book because as you can see, Goody has made it his life's work to be an influence and to help move our country in the right direction. So are you running for office, Goody? <laughs> you know, I I think my window's closed. I certainly thought about <laughs> it in times past, but I think my window's closed. I think I'm you know, obviously, I play as much as I can an active role in the political discourse in various platforms and, and, and ways. Uh, I do believe that our political uh, divide is one of the biggest Achilles heel in our nation. I'm so disappointed to see how things have evolved in the last few years. Uh, with that being said, mm-hmm. I'm also encouraged. I still believe that um, that good will prevail, that generosity, nobility, kindness, uh, that uh, Harvey Cox wrote a book, the Harvard professor uh, wrote a book called When Jesus Came to Harvard, Mm. one of the the great books of our of our time. And he talks about in his book uh, developing what he calls moral courage. Mm. And he says that that's what's needed, moral courage. And so my hope uh, is that uh, people would develop that in different spheres, different disciplines, uh, whether being a mom, a dad a business owner, a political leader, uh, an athlete, an entertainer. We need more people to develop moral courage uh, to say, you know what, even if this costs me popularly or even my job, my security and comfort of a paycheck, because this is morally wrong, I'm going to step into these matters and do what is honorable, what is just. Uh, That's what our creator requires of us to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him. And so mm. the idea of moral courage is, is something that our, I think our nation needs, and I'm committed to do my part. I love it. Well, you are always welcome to come back and share more of your insights. This has been of such value. I've learned a lot. I'm sure the audience has as well. Well, thank you again so much, Sharon. I'm honored to be with you today. And I know you're you're an influencer yourself and you're advancing the needle forward. And I want to say to you, as well as to all your listeners and how, how fortunate we are to have you on this place called planet earth. And I want to challenge you to continue to lean in. Don't uh, shrink back from the tremendous gifts and responsibilities that have been entrusted to you and, 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 and to use your platform for good to make the global humanity better. Thank you so much. I'm really curious to know what you thought about that conversation with Goody. I am just blown away at the value that he adds and how seriously he takes leadership, but he handles it with such humility. And we need more leaders like that. You and I can be leaders like that. We can lead our families like that in our church groups, on the ball field. There's so many opportunities. So let's answer the call to step up and have that moral courage to do what's right. Thank you so much for being here. Everything's linked up below in the show notes. And as always, until next time, I wish you every good thing.